0: Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org slash W-O-A.
1: State Representative Mark Matison has had an intriguing trajectory in Missouri politics. After prevailing in one of the most competitive House districts in the state in 2016, Matisse lost reelection in 2018, but he returned to the fold in 2022 after moving to a more Republican district. The O'Fallon legislator joins us on Politically Speaking to talk about his philosophical approach to Missouri politics and what should be done to compensate people who have been sickened by nuclear waste. Let's hit the music.
2: This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics.
0: My promise to St. Louis was that I would do the absolute most for each and every person, starting with those who have the very least. What I wanted to do was look and see what other states are doing. We have to be willing to change those laws, that they are balanced and they affect everybody equally.
2: As somebody that grew up in the St.
3: Louis area, in North St. Louis County, I didn't know any lawyers growing up. we got to find long-term solutions to make government better, but also to be able to provide services to people.
0: I don't want to leave that federal money that we've been leaving all these years on the table. We need to be spending this money to take care of Missourians.
3: I thought we accomplished a lot this year, but a lot more needs to be done.
1: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I am your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining us from mid-Missouri, she covers all things state government and state politics for St. Louis Public Radio. Eric Kellogg. And joining us for the first time, he's a man with a very interesting political trajectory, but more importantly, he is a person with an amazing radio voice. Our guest today is...
2: State Representative Mark Matison.
1: And uh, thank you for joining us. This is your first time on Politically Speaking, and we are really excited to have you. But before we pepper you with hostile and offensive questions, tell us a little bit about what your district entails.
2: So I live in O'Fallon, Missouri. District 107 takes the southern portion of O'Fallon, as well as a good uh, section of Darden Prairie.
1: How did you even get involved in Missouri politics and do
2: you regret that decision? <laughs> I will never regret my decision to get into politics. And you know, looking back in my history Most of my time, I have been in restaurant management, hotel management. At the time that I was running for office in 2016, uh, I was at Ameristar Casino in management. Um, And that's given me the opportunity to have a front row seat to watch how public policy really affects the people of Missouri. One of the issues that I was facing as a general manager and a district manager in the restaurant is as I tried to help develop the careers of some of my employees, many of them were resistant to moving up because they were on state benefit programs. There was an exact dollar amount that they knew they could never pass or they would lose those benefits. So I started looking at policy back then as a restaurant manager to see what we could do better to allow people to do better for themselves without hitting that fiscal cliff of losing all of their benefits.
1: Which is actually something that – that actually uh, there was a bill passed to do exactly that this year, which we've talked about on the
2: show. Right. And yeah, again, we just want people – to have the opportunity to do better. We don't want people to be afraid of losing their health insurance because they work more and earn more. That is completely, completely the opposite of how you develop a better state. So from 2017 to
1: 2019, you represented a district that included northern St. Louis County and portions of St. Charles County. This was not only an unusually shaped district. This was probably literally the most competitive House district in the entire state. What was it like representing that district for a term?
2: Well, I mean, it was there were so many different groups of people that I tried to represent at the same time. One of the most difficult part about being a representative and trying to be the voice of the people you represent is that 50% of the people are gonna be unhappy with what you're doing, and you never know which 50% that's gonna be. You just have to be able to sleep at night knowing you're doing the best you can to pass good policy. So that district went from Hazelwood through Bridgeton into Maryland Heights, where I was living, all the way down into Chesterfield and even had a strip of St. Charles County. And every community within that district had their own unique needs. One of the things that brought me into uh, running for office at that time, besides the work in the restaurant industry, uh, was... The Westlake landfill and some of the issues revolving around that, and I wanted to be a part of that solution. And that really impacted the Bridgeton community and the Maryland Heights community, while my Chesterfield people and my St. Charles County people just didn't understand why that was even an important issue. They'd never even heard of it.
1: You ended up falling short in your re-election campaign to
2: 102 votes out of 16,500 cast. I'll to, never uh, forget that.
1: Yeah, to Representative Paula Brown, who we had on the show, sa- has said has said very nice things about you, said that she was only uncomfortable being <laughs> with, around you for 15 minutes when you're both serving right. there.
2: You know, it's interesting because we were in the elevator together, very beginning of session, and, you know, we, we saw each other. We politely said hi— And, you know, the reality is she was a great candidate for that district um, and a wonderful human being. She's a great person to work with. I've never had any ill feelings towards her. But what did you learn
1: from that campaign? Because, you know, sometimes people learn a lot from losing more than the campaign that they win for the first time.
2: Well, there was a lot of second guessing. Did I knock enough doors? You know, could I have phrased a mailer differently? Uh, But ultimately... It's just, you know, the voters were torn. And if you go back and look at polling, if it was a poll on are you voting for Mark Mattison or the other candidate, Mark Mattison won that poll every time. If it was a poll of are you voting for the Democrat candidate or the Republican candidate, the Democrat candidate won that poll every time. There was a huge anti-Trump sentiment going on that was really kind of dividing that middle ground voter, uh, and ultimately, it was the R after my name that probably pushed you know the the equation just a little further.
0: You ended up moving to St. Charles County, running for an open seat that's much more Republican than your old district, and we asked this to Representative Brown, "What is it like going from being the most in the most competitive district of the state to a relatively safe district?"
2: Um, It really allows me to focus on the more conservative aspects of my platform, knowing that in my current district, I really am able to represent my voters. um, And I'm always trying to take the needs of all Missourians into consideration. But as a pro-life Republican candidate... I know I'm gonna have the support of my pro-life, pro-second amendment voters. And those who are seeking out, while having decent government services, want to ensure that we're farming the money out of their wallets as least as possible.
0: So one of the issues that you have been very involved in throughout your career is nuclear waste exposure in North St. Louis County and St. Charles County. We've had other people on this program who are also heavily involved, but what got you interested in that topic?
2: Just knowing how close I lived to the Westlake landfill and knowing how toxic that was to the community. Remember, this is a burning landfill. There was a underground fire, subsurface smoldering event, as our federal government always tried to describe it as, as if that was better than just saying it was on fire. That
1: is quite a euphemism, but continue. Yeah, exactly.
2: Um, And... As a Maryland Heights resident, I did a lot of my shopping in Bridgeton, right there on the Rock Road, bringing my son, who was very young at that time, with me. And we're both breathing that air in together. And the smell, like there's not words to describe how putrid and disgusting the air was uh, in Bridgeton when that subsurface smoldering event was at its worst. And knowing that radioactive material was sitting right on the surface, not knowing whether or not it's leaving the site, not knowing how far it could travel if it attached to smoke particles. There were so many factors that were unknown, which I had to educate myself on to fully understand. But knowing the thousands of people in that community who are directly impacted, myself and my son included, and trying to find a way to get involved to help mitigate that risk so people can live in a healthy environment. It just made sense to to be part of that.
0: What do you make of efforts from Senator Josh Hawley and others to allow certain residents of the St. Louis area to receive restitution if they became ill from nuclear waste exposure?
2: I'm really encouraged by their efforts. Uh, People who have been harmed needs restitution. So many people are behind on medical bills and are continuing to face ongoing costs because of their illnesses. The problem is I don't have faith in the federal government to actually Pass this policy this year or anytime soon due to the dysfunction in our entire government and both branches. Uh, I'm encouraged that the Senate was able to pass it. There's been a number of changes. Uh, since the initial amendment passed the Senate in order to make it a more complete amendment to that policy uh, to help more people, which means not only does it still have to continue the process through the House of Representatives, it needs to go back to the Senate uh, and continue to have that support along the way. However, until our Federal delegation, Alexa News speaker, there's nothing going to happen, and who know lo- who knows how long of a speed bump that's going to be.
1: I want to talk about Holly's involvement in this issue, because from talking with him, he seemed very knowledgeable and passionate about it. And he, I'm going to play a clip now to kind of highlight what I mean by that.
3: The moms, the Just Moms group, Don Chapman, Karen Nickel, others who work to get 15,000 pages and more of material from the government that had been withheld, Jason, for years. And, and over a period of years, they filed FOIA requests, Sunshine Law requests, got this material from the government, and then shared it with news organizations in the state. And what it showed was the federal government knew as early as the 1960s that there was radioactive contamination, withheld that information, deliberately misled the public. Those were huge revelations, and I think really galvanized this and it, to me, when when I read what they had uncovered in terms of just the extent of it, of course and I knew about the radioactive contamination already, been involved with this as attorney general, had worked with Don and Karen for years. But when you see the extent of the lying by the federal government, what I said is this is the time right now, this is the time with this information to go and get every victim in St. Louis compensated
1: I've seen some reaction on social media about this. For the people that are really involved in the nuclear waste issue, they have been very happy with the way Senator Hawley has approached this issue including Democrats. But a, lo- a lot of people that may be less attached to it and are on the Democratic side may be pretty cynical and be like, "Well, he's only caring about this because he's up for re-election and it could be a tough re-election fight." So you you've probably worked with him when he was attorney general. Is this just an election year posturing event? Or do you think that he is really energized and serious about this issue?
2: I believe that he is actually energized and serious about this issue. I think it's happening now because of the amount of data that has been has come to the surface. And the timing of that and the timing of the election is simply coincidental. I have been working with Josh Hawley since 2016, before he even won the attorney general race. When I talked to him during the campaign, especially in the primary season, I told him at that point that I was going to support the candidate who would take the radioactive contamination of St. Louis County, St. Charles County seriously and not push it aside. He was committed in 2016 to being a part of that solution. After the 2016 election, elections came and went, uh, I was able to sit down in his office with him and his staff, further bringing them on board to this issue. At that time, one of the major things going on was a settlement between Republic Services and the state of Missouri regarding some of the environmental contamination of the underground fire, um, and was able to be a part of bringing that to a head and getting that settlement finalized and helping to bring in partners to determine where those funds might be spent. Mm. Uh, So Josh has always been knowledgeable about this issue uh, because uh, of just bringing that knowledge to his staff. And they've always been receptive. They've always wanted to know more. They asked a lot of good questions. Um, And then, you know, so His involvement now does not surprise me at all. I don't feel it's a campaign issue.
1: Senator Hawley has said that some of his Republican colleagues in the Senate were not comfortable with with his amendment. And when I asked him why, uh, he said that some of them were uh, worried about the cost. And I do think it brings up an interesting question. Uh, Republicans all across the political spectrum talk about, you know, trying to get government to spend less money and are trying to cut things, I, I think that some people may see this as kind of counterintuitive to that philosophy. What do you think about this being a governmental outlay that may be more appropriate than others?
2: Taking care of people who have been harmed should be the role of the government. The Our federal government caused this issue. The federal government needs to fix the issue and help out the people who have been affected. I mean, there's no better use for our tax dollars than to actually help people who have been harmed. Uh, its I've always felt this way. This is one of the issues I have uh, with our current state administration. Uh, There was an effort to get a bill that I had passed in 2018, which was creating the Radioactive Waste Investigation Fund, uh, which I've yet to get our current governor to ever fund. And we do align on the philosophy that the federal government created the problem and they should be the ones to pay to fix it. However, being so involved in this issue... I've heard it from the EPA. I've heard it from the Department of Energy directly. They asked the question, what has the state of Missouri done to identify their concerns about this issue? And the state of Missouri has not done very much at all to identify and push for a resolution of this issue. That's why I created that fund, but the governor was not willing to fund it. The DNR does not want to fund that program. And here's the simple fact about the federal government, the state government. Anytime you have an issue that the resolution is very expensive, if you they can deny that the issue exists. They don't have to pay to fix it. I understand that, but it is a wrong philosophy. What we should be doing is identifying the problems, finding a solution for it in spite of the cost, and then moving forward with a solved problem. Um, And that's kind of why the EPA spent so much time, effort, money, the Department of Energy spent so much time, effort, and money trying to say that no problem actually exists.
0: Speaking on that fund, House Democrats have suggested that there should be a special session to provide money to that fund. Can you talk about what it actually
2: does? So what this does is it would transfer money from the hazardous waste fund into the radioactive waste fund to give the DNR specific funds to pay for grid-like testing in contaminated areas so that we can identify the exact location of actual contamination surrounding the known contamination and that's some wording that the government likes to throw it around is, is known contamination unknown contamination um, there's a limit to where their testing went but i was trying to force the dnr to do more testing than they already had planned on doing so that we can bring evidence to the epa to the department of energy to compel them to actually act in remediating the contaminated areas. Uh, Now, I will be refiling uh, that bill uh, to change the program a little bit. Number one, the amount of money that I was requesting to fund that in 2018 was only $150,000 per year. Uh, Then that would provide some good testing at one area at a time. Um, However, this year, I'm going to ask that we fund it a little more healthier than that. Uh, I want to take the parameters prescribed in that original bill and open them up to give the DNR more flexibility on how they do their testing. Uh, That bill did not include the ability to spend that money testing water. And I think our, our rivers, our public water supplies both need to be analyzed to ensure that people have safe, non radioactive water to drink. Uh, so I want to add the water portion into the bill so that testing can be done on that. I'm also hoping to do an amendment to bring money into that fund closer to the 350 dollars to $400,000 mark, which will fund a much greater number of tests. One of the aspects that our DNR does not like is that I would require them to send those tests to a private lab for the actual testing. Uh, and in that, for the purpose of that, is twofold. Number one, the citizens of Missouri are not going to trust the government when the government says that they've done that testing and that there's no problem or there is a problem. They're always going to second guess it when it's done by a governmental agency. If you bring in that independent testing lab, uh, It's a little more trustworthy on the actual results. Number two, our Department of Natural Resources is paying three to four times the cost of what our private entities will do that testing for uh, to the group that they have conduct their actual tests that they have done. So we can save taxpayers' dollars by using private industry. We can give our citizens the confidence that the testing's being done accurately and there's no you know, government involvement trying to hide something. Uh, and it just makes common sense.
0: Do you think that this is an issue that the rest of the legislature cares about? And if not, what do you think is stopping them from making this a priority?
2: I think the issue is... It it, it's always come off as being a partisan type of issue, and unfortunately, it's the cause of that is just based on the location of the known contaminated areas. Those are areas often represented by members of the Democrat Party, but radioactive material has no knowledge on the person they that can be affected health wise on whether you know, a Republican or a Democrat's getting sick. Uh, So we have enough buy-in out in St. Charles County with my fellow representatives in that area uh, so that, you know, the legislature understands this is not a partisan issue anymore. This is affecting all of our communities. And we can work together just to help identify the problem so that we can compel our federal government to act to bring a a resolution.
1: We'll be right back after this quick break with State Representative Mark Matison.
3: If you have a
0: smart speaker, you have access to the entire world of NPR and St. Louis Public Radio. All the latest news and all the captivating stories. Activate our voices with yours by telling your smart speaker to play St. Louis Public Radio.
1: And we're back on politically speaking with Republican State Representative Mark Matison. He is a Republican from O'Fallon, Missouri. So let's shift to to taxes and primarily property taxes and personal property taxes. So there's been some uh, there's been some relative controversy after. The legislative session ended about a bill that would allow counties to freeze property taxes for seniors. St. Louis County has rejected such a move, while St. Charles County, I think, adopted it. I am assuming you voted for this bill. Like, what do you make of kind of the after session teeth gnashing <laughs> over over this? Because it has really dominated county governments everywhere since this came to the scene.
2: Absolutely. Well, first, I did vote for it. Uh, I believe bringing tax relief to our senior citizens who are often on a fixed income is always the right thing to do. Now, the language of Senate Bill 190, uh, which allowed counties to pass this or allowed the taxpayers to bring it to the ballot if the county government doesn't do it on their own, uh, it is it, – it wasn't the most clearly defined legislation we've ever passed. So I think a lot of the arguments, disagreements, misinterpretations of the bill uh, is the the actual parameters on who would be eligible and which political subdivisions would see the tax freeze of those seniors. Uh, St. Charles County has kind of included the most, the largest population into it as the the residents who are 62 or older, uh, and freezing all political subdivisions, tax dollars, uh, once they hit that age, which I think is the right thing to do. Uh, We're going to always see a battle between the tax spenders and the taxpayers. Our tax spenders often will farm every last dollar out of the wallets of the tax Payers, uh, because they find that their way of spending money is a whole lot more important than you who go to work and earn that money to try to support your family. Um, And I like to step in, uh, generally, I, I want to represent the taxpayers and defend their right to take care of their families the ways they see fit, and to give as little money to the government as we can.
0: Do you think that the legislature should come back in 2024 and place a means test on the program? And if so, what would you measure the value of a home, the amount of income a senior is getting or something else? Because there's been, you know, at least from St. Louis County loan, kind of the request for a means test.
2: Um, I like to help people equally. I, I think the equal freezing of a low value home and a higher value home Uh, The people, their seniors who've been paying taxes their entire lives equally deserve the relief. So, no, I don't think a means test should be brought into that particular program. Now, we do have another program that is means-based, and that is our Senior Citizen uh, Property Tax Relief Program, more commonly known as Circuit Breaker. Uh, I carried a bill in the last session that would raise the income threshold and tie it to CPI to allow our, both our disabled community and our senior citizens to earn more money while still taking advantage of that property tax credit. So we do have a means-based program in place now to provide additional relief for lower income Missourians. Uh, but we haven't updated the benefit and we have not updated the income allowance since 2018. Uh, I'm sorry, 2008, it has been 15, almost 16 years since the eligibility and benefit was increased. So I have a bill that will bring that up to modern dollars. Um, So again, while we're helping every senior, we'll also find ways to help those who are on the lower income scale.
0: Your St. Charles County colleague, Senator Bill Eigel, has talked about ending personal property taxes as a part of his campaign for governor. What do you think of that idea?
2: Well, as a taxpayer, I love the idea. As a responsible legislator, I want to make sure that our tax spenders do have the resources they need to pay their necessary bills. Uh, If you take away, uh, you know, a lot of—in St. Charles County, where I live— Personal property tax represents 15 to 16% of our tax spenders' budgets. And it's pretty consistent across the board in the suburban areas on that 85-15 split between real property and personal property representing that portion of the budgets. Now, in our rural communities, that's a little different. Uh, Some of those communities, it's a 70-30 split between real property funding the budgets and 30% of personal property funding the budgets. They're gonna be impacted more, and we need to be mindful of that when we're taking a look at at these reductions. Um, my, My philosophy, my bill, would phase out personal property at a slower rate than what our real property taxes are increasing. Therefore, the tax spenders would never see a decrease in their budgets. Maybe they don't keep up with inflation every year, but the actual dollars they would have to spend would not go down. We
1: asked Senator Eigel about like how local governments and state governments would recoup the money lost from the personal property tax,
3: if it went away. And this is what he said. Uh, Understanding that right now, every person in this state, every single person in the state is sending more to government, adjusted for inflation, than they've ever sent to government before. And yet, every person I meet, is unhappy with the outcomes. Look at the test scores in our schools. Uh, look at the, uh, the the population growth of our state. By so many outcomes, we are stagnating, and we have been stagnant for a generation. So when folks ask me how am I going to replace the answer, my answer is I'm not going to replace the revenue. The problem isn't that we're not sending too much money to government. The problem is that government does such a poor job managing that cash that it's created such a burden on the people of the state that other folks don't want to move here and invest in Missouri. That's where we've got to change course.
1: So so I understand the philosophy, and trust me, I didn't like writing a $1,500 check for my Honda CRV, but I also want my school district to be properly funded, and I also want my special education program, special school district, not to lose tons of money, because that's the reason we live in St. Louis County. Absolutely. So how do you avoid those two entities or any entity from local government from just being decimated by this plan?
2: The way we tax personal property is based on 33 and a third percent of the assessed value of that property. Uh, My bill that I filed would reduce that 33 and a third percent down to approximately 19 percent of the assessed value of the property. On our homes, we're paying 19 percent of the assessed value of that property. As cost of living has gone up and people are in danger of of losing their homes, my concern is people might be living out of their cars and they shouldn't be paying more than 19% on their new residence on four wheels.
1: This has been a great conversation. So we're going to make the, the election questions maybe a quick fire round, Sarah. Does that sound like a good plan? Sounds great. So, okay, we're not giving you a time limit. But maybe in the shortest burst that you can answer these election related questions. I'll do okay. the best couple I can. A <laughs> couple sentences. How do you see the GOP primary between Senator Bill Eigel, Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe, Secretary of State Jay Ashcroft shaking out, can Republicans avoid having a divisive primary that ends up helping the Democrats in the general election?
2: I think the primary is going to be divisive. It's going to be heated. Uh, We've already seen uh, candidates take jabs at each other, in in my opinion, in an unnecessary fashion this early on. Um, I do hope the candidate who believes in the most Uh, freedom, low-tax, liberty-loving policies is the eventual winner. Uh, I can't tell you who that's going to be because I'm not personally endorsing any candidate in this race. Uh, But it's going to be a heated primary. However, across the entire state of Missouri, we are a very conservative state, and I firmly believe that the winner of that primary will be our next governor. Do you
1: think the fact that Igel is from St. Charles County will give him any sort of advantage, given that that county is a huge Republican stronghold now?
2: I do think that's going to play into his favor. Uh, a, a large number of primary voters are in my county. Um, however, there's a large number of primary voters in my county who know what's going on in the Senate and don't think the filibuster has been a great option, and that could actually hurt him as well. We'll just see how the voters uh, decide on that, because St. Charles County voters are very aware, uh, more than anywhere else in the state, on what's going on in the Senate. What
0: do you think are going to be the major issues that prompts a Republican voter to choose a gubernatorial candidate? They're obviously not monolithic on all issues, but they do have similar you know, concepts. Uh,
2: I think uh, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe is going to bring a better message to the rural area. Which represents a huge amount of Republican uh, primary voters. I think both uh, Jay Ashcroft and Bill Igel is going to speak the language of the more urban, suburban needs, whether it's tax reform or education. Uh, both of those candidates are solid in those two areas. Um, my concern is that those two may, you know, encroach into each other's voting pools, uh, which would create a large path uh, for Mr. Kehoe to prevail.
0: Conversely, there's a competitive Democratic primary to take on U.S. Senator Josh Hawley. Do you think that helps Senator Hawley?
2: I think it's irrelevant to that particular race. I foresee uh, Senator Hawley winning a very easy reelection. He's become,
1: for better or for worse, a lightning rod nationally, most likely because he objected to Pennsylvania's electoral votes to Joe Biden. But do you think that he should be worried? And a your last answer, you seem to say no, but why shouldn't he be worried?
2: So what we're going to see on the presidential race is a really polarizing group of people show up at the polls. We saw it in 2016 in the state of Missouri when the voters came out for Trump in mass, and which helped – all down-ballot candidates win their races by a larger margin than expected. In 2020, we saw similar results. I expected Missouri it to be the exact same thing that we've seen in the list in 2016 and 2020.
1: Well, Representative, thank you so much for coming on the show and blessing us with your beautiful radio voice and your insight into state politics. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is a part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Representative, how can people follow you on social media or go to the House website to make sure that your name is spelled correctly?
2: <laughs> Absolutely. On Twitter, you can find me at Mark Matt On uh, other social media platforms, it's the same except Facebook, which is still Mark Rep 70, uh, going back to my old district number. Um, however, you know, if you if you just Google me, uh, I'm going to p- come up. The problem is the spelling of the last name, M-A-T-T-H-I-E-S-E-N, is not always the easiest to remember or pronounce. It is not. I mispronounced
1: it several times (laughs) in the past 48 minutes. Until next time, so long.
3: St. Louis Public Radio's The Gateway gives you the day's news first thing every weekday morning. From the ever-evolving relationship between St. Louis city and county, to developments in the Missouri and Illinois state capitals, and reports from our correspondents in Rolla and the Metro East. We put it all in a roughly 10-minute package with clarity and context. Download The Gateway wherever you get podcasts.